The enemy, the Bible says, is like a roaring lion. He goes about seeking whomever he can devour. He has a mission. And believe it or not, his mission is from the Almighty. Most people may find it difficult to believe that the devil is on Jehovah's payroll, that he can do nothing in the earth except, Father, permit him. And when his time comes, his days will be over. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, why do Father allow the enemy to just roam? The purpose of the enemy, brothers and sisters, I believe, is to help us to see the love of the Almighty and make a distinction who we're going to serve. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel according to John. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Amongst themselves, the people acknowledged the plot of the religious leaders as Yeshua was speaking at the feast. Some were perplexed because they knew the ruler's intents, but Yeshua was speaking openly. Some wondered if the rulers had finally accepted Yeshua to be the Messiah. The people also pondered what they believed based on what they had been taught in spite of what was written. For instance, they assumed he was born in Nazareth because he was referred to as Yeshua of Nazareth. In this teaching, we explore how Yeshua exposes the people's inability to discern and distinguish the revelation of the Spirit from the information of man that they had been taught by their religious leaders. Through this example, we see that denominational doctrines can impede on the scriptures and blind men from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. The message title in this podcast is Yeshua and Prophecy. So, let's study. Every day, we have to deal with issues. I can earnestly say to you that every day I wake up, I'm confronted with something. And it takes work over the course of the day to maintain my peace. Peace can so easily be lost because of the circumstances. When things come at us, there is a couple of ways we can respond. We can respond out of our natural selves, or we can be mindful that even though we are in the world, we're not of it. We have to always be mindful that we're not alone, even when we feel like we may be alone, and even when we're going through things that other people don't understand. The enemy the Bible says, is like a roaring lion. He goes about seeking whomever he can devour. He has a mission. And believe it or not, his mission is from the Almighty. Most people may find it difficult to believe that the devil is on Jehovah's payroll, that he can do nothing in the earth except, Father, permit him. And when his time comes, his days will be over. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, why do Father allow the enemy to just roam? 
The purpose of the enemy, brothers and sisters, I believe, is to help us to see the love of the Almighty and make a distinction who we're going to serve. If we didn't know him in the capacity that he wants to be known, then we'll simply follow the religion of our parents, follow the traditions of our parents and our ancestors, and what we will be doing religiously and traditionally would be the same things they did religiously and traditionally, even though as children we've seen them do what they do religiously and traditionally, knowing that what they were doing was not necessarily in alignment with what was written. How can we grow up in a tradition that goes to church on Sunday and celebrate Easter's and celebrate Christmas and celebrate all of the things that the traditions of what we were brought up in celebrate and not celebrate those things? What child is going to start questioning Christmas, especially on Christmas Day? (laughs) You're too busy opening presents to question not even mindful that the present and the tree and all that stuff has nothing to do with the faith, you see. And so when it comes down to it, it requires the Almighty to show himself to us, but generally for us to see him, we are going through something. We're dealing with something. One of the strategies of the devil brothers and sisters, is to make you think reality and reality is you got a problem. Your problem may be depression. Your problem may be identity issues. Your problem may be infirmity or sickness. Your problem may be an inability to interact with other people. He may try to make you think you got some kind of bipolar or, or some ADD. And I can tell you right now that the symptoms of bipolar manifest in my life. The symptoms of ADD manifest in my life. The symptoms of depression manifest in my life, but that's not who I am. And if the enemy can convince me that the manifestations in my life is who I am, then he's got me. Because from a natural point of view, that's who I am. From a natural point of view, why? Because even though I was born in a religious family that went to church, I was still born in sin. All of us were born in sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. So nobody can say they have not sinned. If they do, they are a liar. And because we were born that way, and truly we were, some people say, you know, whatever her name was, say we were born this way, that that's not true. The fact is, is that that's true. You were born confused. You were born a sinner. You were born in whatever capacity you begin to identify from your natural birth and the enemy want you convinced that that's who you are when the real you haven't even showed up yet. If my identity is hid 
in him, then I got to get to know him to know my true identity or I'll operate in the identity I've been convinced I am. You get this. And so when I was a child, people used to tease me. I walk like a girl. Add to the fact of being sexually abused, now walking like a girl with a family of disorders, because there's disorder all in my family. Oldest son, oldest brother spent years in prison for murder. Daddy, uncles, mamas, sisters, brothers. Mental illness runs through my family. I got brothers right now, my living relatives, all of my Brothers, every one of them that is alive right now is facing disorders and on medication. I'm the only person in my family not on medication. And some say you should be. (laughs) And if I look at me from a natural standpoint, I would say, you know, I probably should be. But the Almighty has revealed to me who I am, and now it's a matter of me living up to his expectation and the potential that he has shown me, or I listen to the world around me trying to tell me who I am. The last thing I want to do is go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist because they're going to convince me that the stuff that I'm experiencing and seeing and thinking is real. When in the reality is, it is real. The psychologist is ministering to my carnal self. He don't know me as he know me. And my identity is in him, except my identity now comes from my parents as people would want to look up their DNA and their ancestry to see where they came from, when where you came from is him. Your DNA is not going to show that because nobody knows the DNA of the Almighty. They've tested him. They don't have a vial that says this is the DNA of God. (laughs) And yet he says our identity is hid in him. So to know me, I got to get to know him so he can reveal to me who I really am. And then now I can be what he has called me to be and stop trying to be what everybody is saying I am. And that's where the rubber folks Meet the road. Do you think you got mental illness? (laughs) I don't have to go to a psychiatrist to figure that out. All I got to do is look in my own mind. If I just take a moment and look internally, I got some issues. And the only one who can help me with these issues is the one who has the plan for my life. So I'm either going to seek his plan or I'm going to try to figure this stuff out as I go at the mercy of the world and the prophets of the world around me. And I'm not talking about the prophets of Jehovah. I'm talking about the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Balaam, the prognosticators who want to prophesy blessings and prosperity and everything's okay when everything's not okay. These people want to make you feel okay in your mental illness. 
But brothers, we are more spirit than mental. And the moment we move into our spirit self and move out of our natural self, we will find that we have two minds, a natural mind and a spirit mind. The spirit man is in tune with him. The natural mind is in tune with the world. And because we live in the world, there's a tendency to want to be more in tune with the world than in tune with the one who is in the spirit. But the Bible doesn't say those who are led by their natural mind, they're the sons, is those who are led by his spirit. They are the sons. Once I understand the mind of Messiah, I can begin to think the thoughts of the Almighty, and that in itself is going to set me apart and make me look like I'm insane to an insane world who think they ain't insane. We're surrounded by insanity, and insanity shows up on our doorstep every single day, all day. And we got to figure this insanity out, and the last thing you can do is deal with the insanity in the natural mind because you become part of the problem. Let me get to the teaching. John opens chapter 7 with Yeshua in Galilee because of the Jews' plot to kill him. Verse 1, after these things, Yeshua walked in Galilee for he would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, we're going to see later that they're going to say, hey, you know, you, well, let me, when Yeshua exposed their lawlessness and intent to kill him, there was denial, and he was accused of having a devil. And this is in verse 19, John chapter 7. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep it, the law? Why do you go about to kill me? You see, these individuals went about to kill him because what they'd done is discredited him. In their own mind, what he was doing was in violation of their religion. And according to being in violation of their religion, they can ignore thou shalt not kill and kill him, thinking that they're in line with Jehovah. The people answered and said, thou hast a devil. Have you been accused of having a devil yet? Because that's the ultimate. You know, you got a devil. You're following demons. You're, you're following doctrines of demons. You're listening to another spirit. They got the Holy Spirit. We don't. That's what they want us to believe. No, the spirit that I got ain't the same spirit that you got because the spirit that I got is showing me the truth and what you're walking in is under law. We're under grace. It's like, really? What does that really mean? It's interesting that the grace people can't even define grace. God's unmerited favor. Okay, what does that mean? What does that got to do with salvation? Because according to my Bible, we're saved by grace through faith. See, brothers and sisters, as I explained on Thursday night, according to that philosophy, grace, Father has already made provisions for the salvation of the world. Based on that ideology, the world is already saying, if you don't have to do nothing, if you don't have to do nothing, you can't earn it. Think about this. All you have to do is believe. That's it. Well, what does that mean? All you have to do is believe. You have to believe Jesus is who he say he is. The world believes that. There are many people in the world who believe that Jesus, according to the Bible, came from God. But they also say, some of them, I got a guy 
wrote me this morning. He sent me an image and, you know, well, actually he didn't send me the image. He said something on my Facebook post and I went to his, you ever seen that uh, image of, of Michael, I think it's Michelangelo with the hand of, the hand of Elohim reaching out and, and there's the hand of man. In his image, there's the hand of the Almighty and there's a man giving Jehovah the finger. That's the world we live in. In fact, the idea today is that teaching your children the commandments is a form of child abuse. They're moving the conversation to something that is bad because it is not in alignment with the world's system. So now, Instructing the children to obey the Almighty is a form of, of abuse. You see, I've even had people in my own family who tell me that, listen, you shouldn't force your religion on me. Well, you shouldn't eat my food. You shouldn't live in my house. You should find another place to live. And there's the door. Nobody's forcing you to stay here. You get this. Well, you shouldn't be trying to force me to do stuff. I'm not trying to force you. You got an option. You got the option to do it or not to do it. And see, here's where the favor and the discipline comes in. Because if you don't do it, then now I got to discipline you. If you do do it, then I can show you favor. But you can't have favor rebelling against my instructions. What makes people think that they can gain the favor of the Almighty or have the favor of the Almighty without doing what the Almighty say? You won't permit that. And we're made in his image, in his likeness. And when we're regenerated, we now take his yoke upon us and we become, we learn of him. And the more we learn of him, the more we become like him. And when you start becoming like him, you'll see the world through his eyes and you'll see the condition of the people that you encounter every single day. The world has lost its mind. It's lost its way. It's corrupt and perverted. You got young people claiming to be something they're not and parents endorsing this so the people accused Yeshua of having a devil. The people acknowledged the plot of the religious leaders amongst themselves as Yeshua was speaking at the feast. In verse 25, it says, Then some of them of Jerusalem, is not this he whom they seek to kill? Now this is verse 25. Yeshua says in verse 19, Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you go about to kill me? And the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. Who's going about to kill you? But then a few verses later, then some of them said in Jerusalem, is not this he whom they seek to kill? I'm going to tell you, this is confusion. There are people who are trying to communicate to you and they're confused. How can a confused person communicate with somebody whose confusion has been cleared up? You ever had confused people call you confused? Or think, make you think you're confused 
basically what it boils down to is that you have your philosophy and your way of doing things. I have my philosophy and my way of doing things. Our philosophies and ways of doing things clash. That's what happens. Every single decision you make is going to have ramifications. Every single decision you make is going to have ramifications. And this is why you have to count the costs. Every decision. If you decide that you're going to give your heart to Yeshua, how is that going to affect the relationships you have right now? You're making a decision that is going to affect your relationships. Because the people who are not making the decision to give their heart to Yeshua like you're making the decision to give their heart to Yeshua is going to continue to do the things that you see now is not something you should be doing. So what's going to happen? There's going to be a tear. There's going to be a breach. It's the same, folks. If two heathens get married, you marry a a straight-up sinner because you're a straight-up sinner, crackhead, alcoholic, weedhead, meth head or whatever the case may be, and you all have things in common and one of y'all get clean. Your decision to get clean is going to affect your spouse. Where you used to be in agreement now, you're not. There's a division. If you decide to change your Sunday and all of a sudden you get a revelation that we should be keeping the Sabbath, and your spouse, no, we, we, that ain't what my grandmama did. That ain't what my mama did. That ain't what my daddy. We got Sunday preaching preachers in our family going back generations. The moment you decide that you're going to start honoring the Sabbath, it creates problems in your house. You believe Father's calling you to another city, another state, and your relationships is in this city and in this state. When you move, it puts a strain on those relationships. Change forces, differences in change. And the moment you come into a truth, you got to deal with the ignorance, the truth exposed and make a decision to embrace the truth. You got to reject the ignorance you once operated in. So there's a change that takes place in you. And once that change begins to take place in you, that change reverberates into every aspect and relationship that you are involved in. And you'll find that distance begins now to develop between you and the people who refuse to accept the change that you've embraced. If you make a decision that you're going to take a career and you go to college, And when you made that decision, that career was booming. But now that career has been changed because of technology and what used to be a booming industry is now dying. Either you're going to make some decisions to change your focus or you die with it. And there are cities all across America Because industry change, cities are in decline. Every decision you make, brothers and sisters, has ramifications. 
And once you make them, you got to now be prepared to deal with the results of those decisions. And many people don't think through those decisions. And now they're face to face. And I believe this is why Yeshua was saying when he talked about the parable of the seed, that one person receives the seed, the seed falls on different grounds. And because of the circumstances that is a result of that seed, it's only the one that fell on good ground that received the seed and now is ready to deal with whatever the circumstances is to bring forth fruit. That's a fact. So when you are making decisions, you got to consider you. It can't be a spur of the moment. You got to think a thing through because some of the things that you fail to think about in the decision making process, when it happens, you're not going to be prepared for it. Which now causes you to question the decision you made. So although there is a plot and Yeshua was well aware of the plot. He knew his purpose and what had to be accomplished before his time would conclude. In verse 26, he says, below, he's speaking boldly. And they say nothing. And I said, wait a minute. He wouldn't go up there because he knew they were trying to kill it. Now that he goes up there, he's speaking boldly. And the people say, they ain't trying to kill him. But some say, isn't he the one they're trying to kill? But in the process, he's speaking in the midst of those who want him dead. And the folks are looking at this and saying, he's speaking boldly and they say nothing. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Messiah? Some of the people were perplexed by the fact that they knew the ruler's intent, but yet Yeshua was speaking openly and therefore they wondered if the rulers had finally accepted Yeshua to be the Messiah. And the fact is, is that they had not. Their people, sometimes, even though they have issues with you, they don't know how to deal with you. They don't know what to do with you. This is where it's so important for us to know who we are in him. Because the people want him dead. They got the opportunity to kill him, but they do nothing. He know they want him dead. He goes in the midst of them, starts speaking things in the midst of them. And the folks are looking around. It's like, hey, what's going on here? The people also pondered amongst themselves what they believed based on what they had been taught in spite of what was written. See, there are people in your own family who didn't see your move coming. I remember it's like sometimes it takes people three, four, five years to get the memo. You've been celebrating Christmas all this time and all of a sudden one year you decide you ain't going you you, you to celebrate. What? You didn't fall from grace. What's wrong with you? How can you not celebrate Jesus' birthday? You have lost your mind. And they don't know that you didn't gained it. You just came to your senses. But how do you do as a person who have come to your senses in the midst of people who haven't come to their senses yet? You see the issue? You got conflict. Yeshua knew in spite of what was going on around them. And therefore, the people pondered amongst themselves. They believed based on what they had been taught in spite of what was written. When you look at what they say, 
you'll see the confusion. I'm going to tell you, Yeshua was in the midst of a very confused people. And it's no different than what we're in the midst of right now. Verse 27, how be it we know that this man whence he is. Now notice that word whence there, it, it indicates where he came from, not where he's at, but where he came from. We know this man. We know this man whence he is. But when Messiah cometh, no man knows whence he is. Now this statement in itself is a confused statement. A person who doesn't know the Torah and the prophets, if you're looking at the writings of the prophets for some kind of inspirational memory verse, then you miss the spirit and the essence of what is being communicated. And so people will take certain things from the prophets while rejecting the other things from the prophets. So they say, we know where this man is from, but when Messiah comes, no man knows where he is when the scripture reveals exactly where he's going to come from. This is, in fact, not true because in verse 41 and 42, we're going to see next week, but I want to bring this out to you today. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others ask, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? You see the confusion? Does not the scripture say, so now some according to scripture, does not the scripture say that Messiah will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? So how can they say when Messiah come, we won't know where he come from? In Micah 5, 2, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so what is Micah? Micah is telling the people that the one who is coming was from everlasting. Now, if you look at what he's saying is that he says, he's from of old, but he's going to come. How can he be from of old and yet, he's going to come. Father has given me instruction, and any of you who've ever prophesied, is inevitably, if you prophesy more than once or twice, somebody is going to receive a prophetic word from you and want you to explain it. Well, well, can you give me some more? Well, that's all he gave me. Well, what does that mean? Well, I was thinking it would mean something to you because I don't have a clue. And this is the position the prophets were in. Even Moses, father is giving Moses things, but Moses don't understand what father is giving him. Moses couldn't explain the Torah. All he could say is what father said. The prophets, when the prophets received prophetic words from the Almighty and people were, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? If Father didn't show them what it meant, how are they going to know what it means? This is why Yeshua, see, brothers and sisters, a revelation from me, even though it was right there in front of me and I couldn't see it, was Yeshua was the word who became flesh. And like many I saw Yeshua's manifestation 
about 2,000 years ago. Where he came, he was born of a virgin. And even the babies, the people who, who want to claim baby Jesus, baby Jesus, baby Jesus, what they're doing is that they're taking Yeshua back to a manger. How many of you know that he existed long before the manger? They can only trace him back to that birth. But he existed before the birth. The Bible says he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before the world was, he was. So he could say, even though he came after Abraham, before Abraham was, he was. And Yeshua wasn't allowing them to take him back to some birthplace or some birthday because he existed long before that moment. And can I tell you something? So do you. So do you. When Jeremiah says, the Bible tells us that, that he knew Jeremiah in the womb. The purpose of people is in the heart of the Almighty before the conception of the person. Father saw you before your parents were born. I used to say, you know, I say stuff because this is how I see it. It's like father brought my parents together to get me here. My parents had to come together in order for me to exist. But I know who my father is. There's my biological and there's my eternal. In essence, I have two fathers. The world teaches us to lay claim to our biology. By laying claim to our biology, our existence can be traced back to a date. And in our own mind, we didn't exist before that date. And yet the plan of the Almighty was already in his heart before you were born. He didn't say, oops, Arthur's here. Now what am I going to have him do? No, he knew what he was going to have me to do before he brought my parents here to get me here. And the same with you. So it's really a matter of perspective in how you see yourself or how you allow the world around you to define you. Because either Father is going to define you and you embrace, or the world will define you and you embrace. What you manifest will manifest what you've embraced. <laughs> Say that again. What you manifest will manifest what you embrace. In other words, what you do is an indication of what you have accepted as your identity. Because you will perform based on how you see you. If you see you through the eyes of the world around you, you will operate in that. If you can see you through his eyes and what he reveals to you as his purpose, the moment you embrace that and you start walking in it, you're going to start going contrary to the world that you've been going along with up until this moment. And that in itself is going to create some issues with people. So Micah says, whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. And notice what he says, yet out of you shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be a ruler in Israel. 
who was before from of old, from everlasting. So Yeshua was prophesied in the prophets. That's why when he said that he didn't come to destroy the law of the prophets, but to fulfill those things that were spoken of him concerning or that was given to them by the Almighty, that was given to them and they spoke it forth, Yeshua manifested the things that they spoke forth. It is sometimes hard to think of Yeshua's ministry as prophetic in light of the Gospels, but we must remember the words of Jehovah given to Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, he says, I will raise them up a what? A prophet. I will raise them up a prophet. Now, Micah says, I'm going to send forth a ruler of Israel, a ruler of Israel. So this person is going to be over Israel. The prophets were not over Israel. The prophets were spokespersons. Usually it's the king that was over Israel. So the kings ruled over Israel. The prophets would speak to the kings as the Almighty would speak to them. And typically the kings, if they didn't like what they heard, would shut the prophets down, even in some cases kill them like John the Baptist. And so now Moses writes, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee. Father is speaking to Moses. And what is he saying? I will raise them up a prophet like you, Moses. But people don't necessarily look at Moses as a prophet. Moses was a prophet. Now I know what father said to Moses is, Moses, I'm going to make you like a God unto Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. But when he speaks to Moses, he says, Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you. What is he saying? Moses, you are a prophet and I'm going to raise up a prophet like you from among your brethren. And I suspect that father is revealing to Moses and I will put my words in his mouth. But wait a minute. Didn't he put his words in Moses mouth? Yeah, Moses, but they ain't going to listen to you. And at the end of Moses life, he said, let me tell you what's going to happen when you go. The whole time Moses had been leading these, these individuals there, they're quarreling with them. They're rebelling against him. They're murmuring and complaining. And like any prophet who is a human, because Moses was a man, people, we as men and women, have difficulty with people not liking us. It's difficult. Moses got so frustrated, he refused the instruction of the Almighty when he smote the rock, which caused him to disobey the Almighty. Moses was trying to please the people in some senses while trying to please the Almighty, and you can't do both. The only people who will be pleased with you trying to please the Almighty are the people who are trying to please the Almighty. You need to get that. People who are not trying to please the Almighty is not going to be pleased with you. So now you got to dwell among a people who's not pleased with you. People who don't like you. 
And if you allow your human nature to kick in, you're going to try to appease the people. And to try to appease the people means here's what it's going to boil down to. Either he's not going to like you or they're not going to like you. You can't straddle the fence. And if you try to straddle the fence, you're going to be confused as they are. You'll know what it says, but you're trying to honor and please these people. You'll know what he says, and you'll honor him with, it, with your lips. You'll pray, you'll go to service, you'll do all these things while living a double life. The double life you're living is that you're not applying his commandments in your daily life. When you start looking at what his instructions say on how you treat your neighbors and how you deal with your enemies and how do you handle folks who don't like you and who despise you and who, who speak evil against you and, and who make stuff up about you. Let me tell you something about people who claim to follow Yeshua. Many of the people who claim to follow Yeshua have an issue with what he taught. If you don't have an issue with what he taught, then you would do what he said. You will pray for those who are your enemies. You will forgive them who have wronged you. You will love people and you won't hate them. You're not operating in bitterness. You're guarded and you're protected. And it is his word that guards you and protects you because you're walking in it. And you're not trying to please people as much as you're trying to please the almighty. It would be a twofer if your pleasing the almighty was also pleasing to the people in your life. But you know as well as I do that that doesn't happen that often. It's rare. And because we can see the people, see, you can't see when father is frowned against you, but you can feel it. You can sense when he's not pleased with you. You get convicted when you do something and you know you shouldn't have done it. But the people you see, why are you looking at me like that? What was that noise for? What was that look for? Because that's the sight. You do something, somebody, or, hmm, or, you know, all these communication mechanisms. And then deep down inside, you know that before you do it, certain people are going to have some issue with it, which you've now wrestled with. And in some cases, in the process of wrestling, you decide you need some confirmations and some fleeces and, and four or five more confirmations and you need two or three more witnesses and all of this is procrastination. According to the prophetic book of Revelation, Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10, it says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Yeshua. Worship Elohim, for the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. See, brothers and sisters, the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. Think about this for a moment. We confess to believe in a dead man who supposedly got up from the grave and ascended into heaven. And one day he's going to come back. Tell me that don't sound like a fairy tale. 
if you got any sense of natural thinking, that makes absolutely no sense. However, it takes faith to believe this. And the moment you exercise faith to believe that a dead man died for your sins, so you don't have to pay for your sins, rose from the dead, went to heaven, is going to come back again looking for you. That makes absolutely no sense in the natural mind. And yet we, who are supposed to be intelligent people, are putting our faith in what people who claim to be intelligent as fairy tales. I can get why they see things that way. Because from a natural mind, that stuff don't make sense. When it comes down to grace, Father saved them already too. Every person on the planet has already been saved. Every person. The terrorist has already been saved. Why? Because Father didn't ask, he didn't ask your opinion when he sent Yeshua. When Yeshua came, the Bible says he paid the price for the sins of the, the world. So that means that everybody in the world's sins have been paid for. So what makes that person who has not accepted what he did any different than you? The same grace that was available to them for salvation. You see, the difference is faith. Grace has saved the world, but the world, until they put their faith in him, is not saved. For Elohim so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. So now that I believe in him, what's going to set me apart from the world? I'm still a, a human being dwelling among humans. What's going to make me set apart? I'll tell you what sets you apart from the world is his set apart word. Even the world, the church world, tell us you got to get your mind renewed. Why? If all I need is, if I'm saved by grace, why well, I got to get my mind renewed? I don't need to do nothing. If I do anything, it nullifies his grace. Really? If you do anything, it nullifies his grace. Well, why you go to church? The church has gotten to a place. See, it used to be the Judeo-Christian. Back in the early 60s, 70s, you'd hear that term, Judeo-Christian. Then it became Christian. The church, even the Sunday church, would cite the Ten Commandments. Why? Because it was in the Bible. Now many of them don't even cite the Ten Commandments anymore. They used to say that we, we are still obligated to, to keep the Ten Commandments. Now they say we don't have to keep any commandments, not even the Ten. And what is happening is that it's getting further and further and further and further from its foundation. And ultimately, there is no more foundation. If the foundation be destroyed, where shall the righteous be? Righteous? There ain't no righteous. What do you mean there's no righteous? 
The Bible tells me that if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly be? There's none righteous, no, not one. Well, I see you're going to be meeting your other unrighteous people in the place where the unrighteous will gather in that day. But I don't plan to join you. I really don't. You can say there's none righteous, but I see all throughout the Bible there were righteous men. And I claim my righteousness in him. And therefore, as a righteous man, I'm going to live righteous. And I know what's righteous. His word is righteous. And I got examples of righteous individuals that are shown throughout this book from the beginning all the way to the end. And all I got to do is look at them and listen to him and not y'all. Or who you think you are? <laughs> you don't know? Just because you don't know who I am, I know who I am. See, the people didn't know who Yeshua was, but he knew who he was. See, Nazareth is in Galilee. The people knew where Yeshua was brought up, but not where Yeshua was born. Now, of course, we got the Gospels. <laughs> so here it is 2,000 years later where we can read he was born in Bethlehem. But the people had no idea in the day of Yeshua where he was born. All they knew is where he came from. They didn't know where he was born. We know, and that's some of the challenges, brothers and sisters, that here we are so far removed under the, the guise of denominational teachings and preachings and sermons and, and books that we've read and studies that we've gone to, to where in the day Yeshua came, these individuals had to discern. But their discernment was minimized because they left it up to the teachers to tell them and because they listened to the teachers and their, their rabbis and were afraid of going against what the rabbi said for fear of being excommunicated. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. It's a terrible thing for the church to tell you, please don't come back here. We don't want you here no more. If you show your face back on this property, we're going to call the police. We're going to have you taken off because you'll be trespassing. Not only will we kick you out, but your family won't be welcomed here either. See, this is the stuff these individuals was dealing with. You know, people can say what they want about the Catholic Church, but excommunication ain't no joke. When Martin Luther decided that he was going to go up against that entity, the man had to hide. We've been so far removed from this stuff. We got freedom. We in freedom. We can say what we want and go where we want to go. And now you got people picketing churches and, and stuff like that. Not in that day. We've gotten so far away from what is written to where we've, we're now at the mercy of theologians. For those of you who just joined us, talked about how the theologians determine the breakdown of the Bible. You got the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. It's like, who came up with that term? 
How were they able to effectively separate the prophets from Moses, who was a prophet, who received prophetic utterance, who received words from the mouth of the Almighty? Moses didn't come up with this stuff. Just as Moses heard from the Almighty and wrote, is no different than the prophets who heard from the Almighty and wrote. Same process. So how come they're considered prophets and these are considered law? Theologians have broke things down from us for us, separated things out and reintroduced his word to us in their format. And we're at the mercy of theologians claiming to be followers of the most high. And we even make the same kind of declarations which is why I've said that, you know, we're going to get away from spring feast and fall feast because that term is not identified in the Bible. Well, we're in the fall feast. Notice that's not how it's referred to. These are my feasts. These are my feasts. Once they were separated spring and fall, now people can say, well, the spring feasts have been fulfilled. The fall feasts is yet to be fulfilled. And it's like, okay, you see, more and more information is added into the system based on the theological breakdowns and divisions of the Bible. Ultimately, they could put that page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They just put this big old gulf between the Old Testament and, New, and the New Testament and psychologically convince people who got both Testaments to disregard the old. The manipulation of men has been such to where we have been brainwashed, programmed into thinking a certain way and the Almighty invades our lives and try to dismantle the programming. The whole time he's communicating to us, we're hearing him through these programs, just like the people of Yeshua's day, hearing him through their programs, through their doctrines, through their teachers and their teachings. And they can't hear him. He's saying, I, I speak, but they can't hear. They see, but they can't see. Just like the prophet said, they will see, but not see, and they will hear, but not hear, lest I save them. Lest I come in and, and do a work in their lives. What's keeping the work from being done? What we know, or what we think we know, and we think that what we know is the conclusions we've come to without realizing that we've been led to a lot of the conclusions. So the people knew. The people assumed Yeshua was born in Nazareth since he was referred to as Yeshua of Nazareth. Matthew 21, 11. And the multitude said, this is Yeshua, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. So where's Nazareth? Nazareth is in Galilee. Yeshua was born in Bethlehem. And so because you remember the blind man, Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, thou son of David. People were speaking things. He, he was known as a Nazarene. But he was born in Bethlehem, according to the prophets. Prophecy and the prophets revealed where Messiah would be born. But father hid that information from the religious and only made it known to some shepherds in a field 
Father also revealed the Savior to a prophetess, an old righteous man who received the word of prophecy and who prophesied when what had been revealed to him by Jehovah came to pass. So there was a woman, her name was Anna. The Bible says she was a prophetess. She had been married seven years. Her husband died and she spent the rest of her life in service to the Almighty. She never left the temple area. Yeshua was revealed to her by his parents and she prophesied. There was another fellow by the name of Samuel, a Simeon. Father had spoke to him that he would not leave until he actually saw the Savior. And when he saw it, he testified what Father had said to him. I can imagine some people looking at Simeon getting old, waiting on him to die. And Simeon is saying, no, I'm not going to die because Father promised me. I'm not going to die because Father promised me. He said, I'm going to see the Savior. His word is real. He said, I'm going to see the Savior. So I'm holding on till I see the Savior. I'm not going anywhere till I see the Savior because why? He told me I'm going to see the Savior. So you got to hold on to his words like that. All the odds are against you. There's a lot more words circulating in your head than the words that he spoke to you. And now you got to distinguish the words he spoke to you from all them other words that people are speaking. And you got to hold on to what he said when the tendency is to let go because you don't see what he said manifest. I don't see it yet. I don't see it yet. Well, maybe I didn't hear it right. Well, maybe, well, maybe. And next thing you know, you start rationalizing. And if you're not careful, the enemy comes and just steal that word right out of you. And now you're on a different path. You got a war with the word that has been spoken over your life. You got to hold on to those words, even when everything around you seems bleak. And you can come to the point where Job says, though he slay me, though he slay me. Listen, I'm his. He can do whatever he wants to do to me. If he want to kill me, that's his prerogative, but he can't get rid of me. Because to die is gain. And Yeshua knew this because, see, here's the thing that Yeshua knew before he came in the manger. He knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew where he was going to be crucified. Earlier in this chapter, when his brother said, we're going up to the feast, you ought to come. And nobody who wants to be made known hides themselves. Go show yourself to the world. And he said, my time has not yet come. Yeshua knew his timing. Do you? See, when I say stuff, people say, well, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Well, all I know is what he said. And if I hold on to what he said, then I got some precious promises, which is why we, we recite these declarations. See, if I don't hold on to the life that he has spoken, I'll start listening to the doctors. I'll start listening to the prophetic medical voices. I'll be getting flu shots because it's that time of year. I'll be taking vaccinations and taking medications and, and getting colonoscopies and seasonal checkups and making sure that cancer ain't formed in my body because, you know, you can survive it if you catch it early. Well, it has no right here. So why am I looking for it? Why am I looking for it? You know why you're looking for it? Because once you get 50... You need to start looking for these things. Says who? Where's that at in the Bible? 
See, we're constantly, brothers and sisters, being bombarded by science, technology, statistics, all of these things that are surrounding us every single day that has a tendency to cloud out and to overshadow what his word is clearly spoken. So if you hold on to his word, then you can expect to live to a reasonable age according to his word and not accept anything less regardless. So when the doctors come and say, you got two months, like, like Simeon, no, he said, I'm not going to leave until I see the Messiah. He said, I'm not going to leave until I see the Messiah. I don't care what they say. My eyes have not yet seen the Messiah, so I'm not going anywhere because he promised. He made some promises to me, and I'm holding on to every single one of them. And I know he's not a lie. He's not the son of man that he should lie. So I can take his word to the bank. And so if he's telling the truth, then y'all must be lying. Somebody's lying up in here. Hallelujah. These things were hidden intellectually from people, but those who were obeying what Moses taught would have known by Yeshua's work and by what he taught. Who he was, as Yeshua said in John 5, verse 46, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Yeshua exposes the people's inability to discern and distinguish the revelation of the spirit from the information of men and what they'd been taught by their Pharisee and Sadducee rabbis in the synagogue and temple services. And here's the thing, you know, it's interesting when you don't, when religious people run across things they don't understand, they have a tendency to want to ask their pastors and their rabbis and their leaders and their elders. I know that position because I've asked a lot of questions. And there's this thing that, you know, if you have spirit, there's something that resonates with it. That no matter what you hear, no matter how scientific, no matter what, reports or accuracy they may say which you know they can't give you 100% accuracy there's always a percentage but there's something within you that disagree with something that you hear and you may not necessarily be able to put your finger on it or identify with it and all you have is that inkling is that I hear what you're saying, but it, it, I just can't buy it. I just can't accept that. I can't receive that into my knowing. Because, see, you know, once you hear stuff, it's hard to unhear it. And when you hear something from the professional or from an expert, it gives it a whole lot more weight. But there is no expert more expert than the creator. He is the ultimate expert. And when anybody says something that contradicts what he says, then, you know, you got something to hold on to, even though the experts have spoken. Now, there are people who have heard from experts and then went get a second opinion from a different expert only to have experts contradict. You ever got a second opinion and find out that the second opinion contradicted the first opinion and they both experts? Which one of the experts you going to believe? Maybe you need a third opinion to see if I can get two to agree. 
When the fact of the matter is that you already have the opinion that really matters. And if you war with that and stand on that and hold on to that, you ain't good. The denominational doctrines can impede on the scriptures and blind men from the revelation of the Holy Spirit. John 7, 28. Then cried Yeshua in the temple as he taught, saying, you both know me. Now they say, we know where this man is from. We know who he is and whence he's from. But when Messiah comes, we won't know. Yeshua responds, you all know me. <laughs> it's like, it's like, nah, we don't know you. Yes, you do. No, we don't. And you know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. Now, that's an indictment right there. And this is what we experience, brothers and sisters, when we deal with people who are opposed to our belief. See, he says, you all know me, but I didn't come on my own. But he that sent me is true. And because you don't know him, you don't know me. In essence, he that sent me is true, whom you know not. Remember what he said earlier, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me. Can I share something with you? Many of the people who oppose your walk reject Moses. Think about that for a moment. They reject what Moses taught. If the people of Yeshua's day rejected Moses and what he taught and didn't recognize Messiah, how do you think people today who reject Moses is going to be? Will they recognize the Messiah in you? Now, forget the fact. Well, you can't forget the fact because your fruit speaks. You used to drink, be alcoholic. You're not an alcoholic anymore. You used to be a womanizer. You're, you're not a womanizer anymore. You used to be a liar. You stopped lying. You used to be a cheat. You, you stopped cheating. You used to didn't go to church, but you start going. You used to didn't keep the Sabbath, but now you start keeping the Sabbath. You used to celebrate pagan holidays, but you stopped celebrating pagan holidays. You used to not even concern yourself with any of those feasts in the Bible, but now all of a sudden they become important to you. There are things in the Bible that is clear in the Bible that becomes important to you. And you can show people where it is in the Bible, and yet they reject the very Bible they say they believe. And then the things that they do and celebrate, you can't find in the Bible, but they hold on to those things for dear life. Wake up. See what you're dealing with. You're dealing with the people who don't believe, but they claim to be believers. And they say this stuff is irrelevant because we're not under that anymore. And it's like, how do you take half of your Bible? Well, we're not throwing it away. It's good historical data. It's good for history. It's good to see where we came from. You mean like Ancestry.com? Yeah. Where you came from. But why are you looking for your ancestors People are looking at Ancestry.com to try to identify who they are and the people they came from in order to understand themselves better. 
Well, I got an Ancestry.com for you. It's called the Old Testament. These are your people. See where they came from. Identify with where they came from and become. And the one who called them is the same one who's calling you and trying to bring you back, just like the prophets told the people when they were off track, come back, repent, come back, repent. The gospel message is repent, come back, repent, come back. Come back to what? So here you are now for the first time in your life, really trying to do what is written. And the people who claim to be people of the book have a problem with you trying to do what's in the book. Something's wrong with that. It's still hard for me to comprehend that ideology. I used to believe like them, but now I know better. Yeshua is presented as the word made flesh full of grace and truth. The word with God and is God, Messiah, Savior, Apostle and High Priest the soon coming king, and here he's being presented as the one sent by Jehovah. Verse 29, but I know him for I'm from him and he hath sent me. Yeshua was a sent one. This is why he could become, he was according to the Hebrew writer, the apostle and high priest. Verse 30, then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. Yeshua's boldness, words, and miracles caused people to believe. Verse 31, and many of the people believed on him and said, when Messiah cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man has done? And so what do we see? Faith in Yeshua by people infuriated the religious leaders. When the people began to put their faith in Yeshua, they had some issues with that. In verse 32, the Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. And now Yeshua prophesied. Then said Yeshua unto them, yet a little while I'm with you, and then I go unto him that sent me, and you shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither you cannot come. Now Yeshua, as I said, it's hard for us to see him as one who prophesied, but many of his messages were prophetic. He spoke of things to come. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, as we continue, he says, these are the things that's going to happen. And then he warned his disciples, listen, I'm going to send you out as wolves, a sheep among wolves. Let me tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be people who are going to persecute you, and they're going to think they're doing the Almighty a favor. They're going to think that they're doing the Almighty a favor by persecuting you. He told them, look, three days, I'm going to be in the belly of the grave. I'm going to be in the grave. But on the third day, three days and three nights. And when it happened, they had an issue believing that even after the woman came and told them. So they had some issues. And what was their issues? Even though they were with the Savior and he told them what was going to happen and they saw what he said was going to happen, they had some trouble receiving and believing it because of all the stuff they had been taught before him. And now he now has to reveal him. He has to come back and show himself to them. And teach them all over again the things that he had taught them while he was here with them. Let us not be that people. The religious hears in the natural. Reason among themselves. Ask themselves and others questions. But do not ask the one who spoke to explain what he meant. They're murmuring among themselves. What is he talking about? Where where I go, you can't come. And and is he going to go among the Gentiles? Why y'all asking yourselves? You didn't say it. 
He's right here. But when his disciples were with him privately, and this is where the private relationship, the personal part comes, because he'll reveal things to you. And I'll tell you this, he'll say some things to you in private that you're going to have an issue making known public. And I'll tell you why you're going to have issues, because you anticipate the persecution. It's one thing to be persecuted for doing things that are out of character that is not right. There are people out there who feel that they don't have to work. That they're in service to the Almighty and that there are people out there who are supposed to support them. So they don't work. Now they got issues feeding themselves and feeding their family. And instead of looking at themselves and what is written as far as if a man don't work, he don't eat. They want to blame the people who are not doing what they should be doing. And they're not hearing from the Almighty because obviously they are hearing from the Almighty. And that's unfortunate. There are people out there who believe that the service that they are doing and providing and hearing and confronting. I mean, I've had people say, you know, you're preaching. Father told me what you're supposed to be preaching. It's like, really? You, you're my prophet now. I've even had people tell me, I don't think a week go by that somebody don't tell me in some kind of way I'm a false teacher, false prophet, misleading people. And I have to live with that. And the only thing that keeps me from not succumbing is what I've heard him say to me. What he has spoken to me is what I hold on to, even though people around me abandon me. And you got to be a people who have heard and is willing to walk that path, even though everybody may forsake you. That's a tough place to be. I don't wish that on my enemy. Because I know what it's like to walk a path to where People you think is stable say to you, you're off. People you care about, people you love tell you you're off. You're going the wrong way. I don't want to go with you. You're on your own. In the church, they say, you need to know that you know that you know that you know. (laughs) They would say stuff like, you know, Father have to speak to your heart of hearts. It's like, you know, that's a lot of uh, church terminology that I guess it makes sense because, you know, it made sense. (laughs) What manner of saying is this? Verse 36 that he said, you shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am thither, you cannot come. And I'm down to my last few slides. So Yeshua's words of prophecy to the people are misunderstood, even by his own disciples whom he shared with about the resurrection. What motivated Yeshua most of all was he knew his mission and he had father's word in him. When confronted with those who wanted his demise, he stood on the word just as he did when he was tempted by the devil. Every day, every single day, we are bombarded with issues and circumstances designed to cause us to react out of our natural understanding. As the proverb writer said, 
And I'll leave you with these words. Trust in Jehovah with all your heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he, will, he shall direct your path. When you follow him, you want to make sure that you're listening to him. It's important that when he has spoken, and this is why, you know, this book is a prophetic book. And then Father speaks to us in language that we get, which causes us to re-evaluate, reconsider, re-examine things that we believe to see if we really believed it the way he intended us to believe. And we've come to realize that there's some things that we thought we understood that we didn't understand in the context that he wanted us to understand it. And so we had to make some adjustments. And you're going to be making adjustments throughout life. Because our mind cannot fully comprehend the mind of the Almighty. And so he gives us what our mind can handle. What determines what you can handle is the cost you have to pay to embrace it. Some of us are not ready to pay the kind of cost and the price that we have to pay once we know what it is he wants us to do. Think about the things that he has shown you and the procrastination that you have dealt with with the things he's already revealed. Think about it for a moment. Think about the things that you have had to overcome to embrace the things he's already revealed to you. Somehow we think that if Father just show me what it is I'm supposed to do, I'm going to run and do it. And he's shown you some stuff to do and you haven't ran and did it. That's deception. See, some of the stuff that he's going to reveal to you is going to cost you some relationships you're not ready to give up. Some of the things that he's going to say to you is going to cause you to have to deal with some issues you're not ready to deal with. You think you are. And once he reveals it to you, he can't unreveal it. And he know what you can handle. You think you know what you can handle. You thought you could handle some of the things you thought you can handle only to find out you can't handle it. It overwhelms you. And Father, see all of this. And so he's patiently waiting to reveal things to you as you demonstrate through your consistent walk with him and the prices that you have paid and demonstrate that you are willing to pay before he put more on you because he's not going to put more on you than you are able to bear. You think you can. Look at our children. Your children think that they can handle stuff. You know they can't. They think they can handle being at home alone. They think that they can handle getting on this team and playing that sport and getting involved in this. You know they can't. How? Because they've already demonstrated their level of maturity or immaturity thereof. And though you may want to trust them with more, you know that they don't have the capacity to handle the things that they believe they've got the capacity to handle. 
And that's you as a parent. What do you think our parents, our parent, Jehovah? Just as we can see based on the demonstration of our children and what they can handle and their lack thereof, Father, see us in that same light. You think you can handle it, but he says, no, you're not ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. I can't. I'm ready. No, you're not. The confidence we want is to trust him. Trust him. That's the confidence we need to have. And you know how you develop that? You develop it by consistently walking in the revelation that he's already revealed to you and demonstrating because in everything Father revealed to you, when you stand on it, you learn some lessons. You are strengthened. You are encouraged and built up. You don't know that Father will uphold you until you stand on the word he's given you. And when you stand on that word and did everything you know to do, he comes and he backs you up and he got your back and your protection and your provision. And that builds your confidence to stand on the next thing that he reveals to you. And this is how it works. The more you demonstrate that he can trust you, the more he trusts you with. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>